0: and welcome to the Hand in Hand Show where caregivers and survivors have honest discussions about stroke. We are a part of Stroke Focus Podcasts. This is Cam, your host. So today we have Professor Julie Bernhardt, and she is the world's preeminent physical therapist and researcher on stroke and recovery. She is the principal research fellow and the Division Head of Stroke at Florey Institute of Neuroscience and Mental Health in Melbourne, Australia. She leads the AVERT Early Intervention Research Program. We're really excited to have her here because this is such a huge study. Julie, tell us a little bit about what you do. It's lovely to be here. I've
1: been involved in a large number of randomized controlled trials or clinical trials, as well as uh, observational studies, where we're trying to really understand where the major gaps are in uh, care, particularly early, and also uh, really think about how we can uh, work to, to improve recovery after stroke. So with the AVERT study, which you mentioned, which is the early rehabilitation trial, The idea for that study came about because we'd done a lot of observation in hospitals, both in acute hospitals uh, and in rehabilitation hospitals, both in Australia and in other parts of the world, that showed us that people who have a stroke spend a lot of time, uh, a little bit of time doing a bit of active therapy, but a lot of time doing nothing at all. And When we speak to stroke survivors and their carers about this uh, time in hospital, they tell us that uh, this um, lack of anything to do, this boredom can be very stressful. So while on the one hand, after a stroke, some people say they just want to spend a lot of time uh, being quiet, being rested, Other people find that they find this lack of activity uh, very stressful in and of itself, and they want to get going and they want to start their recovery uh, very early after they've had their stroke. So it it really reflects this great diversity that we have in uh, the experience of stroke and stroke recovery. When we overlay the fact that our animal research is suggesting that there's a window of recovery uh, during which, if we can just do a bit more, it might help improve the trajectory. So it may make people recover more rapidly and to a greater extent if we can start doing interventions in this period. It doesn't mean that the uh, period of recovery stops. We know that people can recover it for many months, years after they've had a stroke. We know that. Uh, It just means that at the moment the biology suggests that there is this window where we might get better opportunity to uh, recover if we can uh, work out what it is we need to do in that time. So some of the research that I'm involved in is looking in this early time period, and when I mean early, I mean in the first month after stroke, but particularly with the um, very early trial, the AVERT trial, we were starting training uh, walking recovery within the first day after someone had had a stroke, and we were doing a lot of extra exercise in that uh, very early period out to 14 days. We did have people interested in joining the trial in the US, but the US is um, a a tricky thing when when you're delivering um, trials or you're developing trials outside of the country. It's a bit tricky uh, to also include the US. But as it turned out, this study, which was with over 2000 patients in it, showed that if we do too much intervention too early, that can be detrimental rather than helpful. So, what it does is it tells us that we still don't know enough about how people recover, uh, who we should be targeting for doing these more intensive training programs and really when they should start. And a lot of our research now is focused back on Understanding the who, the when, the how much and that's really where we're at with recovery.
0: So why is US tricky?
1: So there's a, a couple of reasons why it, uh, it's harder to get uh, research that has been started in other countries uh, adopted into the US. One is that Uh, there is a requirement for um, trials insurance. All research uh, has to have an insurance that sits underneath it. And in the US, you have a very expensive trials insurance uh, requirement. Uh, And in other countries like Australia and the UK, where we do fund quite a lot of rehabilitation uh, research the budgets that we have for our research are tiny and they won't cover that kind of expense. So that's one of the main reasons why it's very difficult for us to come in uh, to the US and do our trials there. And the other reason is that um, we have a a public health system by and large in Australia and the same in the United Kingdom. Uh, And in those systems, we can deliver a lot of additional therapy because there's no standard or legal requirement for a certain amount. Whereas in the US, in a lot of places, uh, the amount of therapy is mandated and that makes it harder to be a bit more flexible. So what what I would say is that a lot of the US... Uh, rehabilitation research is happening once people leave hospital so it's in the later phases and that's just because it's easier to do that research
0: okay that I would understand that quite well because I work in the hospital setting and stuff and I know a little bit about research studies but not quite enough and but that really does make sense I read that there's about 2,000 patients involved. I know myself going through the stroke and the rehab and all of that. Mine took about four to five days before I actually got anything going into a rehab hospital. And I know that from years past, many years, we're talking 15, 20, 25, you were even lucky to get that extra Mm therapy and everything but now it is faster it it probably could for some people start even faster than four or five days and I think I read somewhere on here that um, even you know like the next day or whatever if they're able get them in and get them going so I really like that because I do feel that the earlier you start the better it is and I'm guessing by your by your reaction that that you all are finding that too, that people may be responding better the more quickly you start with this.
1: Well, I I think what's interesting is that uh, our findings, which suggest everyone started very early in in my trial, whether you were in the control group, which was doing usual care, or whether you're in this very early intensive group, they all within two days post-stroke, not admission, Post the time of stroke, uh, virtually everybody had already started doing something. Now, that is that is quite different to your experience from a long time ago. We used to be uh, a lot slower uh, in getting people started doing anything at all. So what, what we found is that over time, and our trial took nine years to finish because it was so large, uh, and over time... That time of people starting got earlier and earlier. And that that is reflective, I think, of the change in care patterns that we see. The issue is that we don't know how much to be doing. So our our trial, the AVERT trial, suggests that if you do a lot, and we were giving people a lot of training, that that is not the right way to go, certainly not for everybody. What we're doing right now is we're delving down into that that data from that trial and we're trying to determine for specific subgroups of people what the right intervention um, might look like. And that is going to be important information to be able to give to others about that very early first few days, first few weeks um, time point. So we'll have that information for people in the next uh, year or so as we delve into the data. There's other trials running, though, as well. Um, Another one that I'm involved with that's being led by uh, Dr Erin Gadecki, who's a speech pathologist uh, here in Australia, and her trial is uh, looking at early language therapy. And it starts within the first um, two weeks after stroke onset, and for her, again, this trial is almost finished and it's called VERSE, very early <laughs> speech. And with that study, it will be really interesting to see uh, if they can find some benefit for having additional uh, training of speech and language in those people who've lost that ability early after strokes. So I'm excited to see what might come out of of that study.
0: Okay, so um, there, and I may not understand this all correctly, but there are different models that you're developing within this AVERT program, that that research program that you're doing, and um, I've just been reading, and I don't even know how to explain some of this that I have read. But um, can you tell us maybe about the model, you know, a a particular model or some of the different types of models that um, you're using in this or that you've come up with since you started this?
1: Yeah, you know, it's a long time that I've been working in this field now and I guess what you're um, asking is how do we get to the answer, you know, how do we find out what the right treatment is for the right patients and i would have to say that this is one of our biggest challenges uh, that we need to really crack this one to make recovery uh, and brain repair and even cure something on the table for people after stroke we've got to get down into the level of detail of being able to differentiate what care should be given to me because of my characteristics and my background compared to the care that should be given to you. And uh, this requires really big studies. So, at the moment, in fact, we've just finished an international roundtable that happened in Philadelphia last year. Um, and I was really pleased to lead this um, with some amazing people who uh, contributed their time and energy to having a, a conversation and uh, about what do we need to do in this recovery space to get to that cure. And that information has come out in the International Journal of Stroke in July. Uh, it's not very plain language, but there's some lovely uh, podcasts that uh, i recommend that people interested in this area listen to and uh, by all means, uh, I can share those with you. I think the exciting thing about that is that we're starting to think about how do we crack this? How How do we actually make and help develop interventions that can radically improve recovery? So I don't have the answers for you yet, but I feel like we've taken a really major step, even in the last two years, To working together as an international community on the challenge of looking at stroke recovery. And that is is so exciting to me, so exciting that we're getting to the point where we're all pushing in the same direction.
0: I love that because I do think that um, stroke hasn't been recognised in the way that it should. Now, I might be a little prejudiced because I've had one. And now suddenly, you know, this is very important to me and very important in sharing this all this information. So um, there is a video and you talked about the profound impact an environment plays in stroke recovery. How is the environment impacting recovery? So this is one of my other areas of interest. So
1: um, I think what... what I what my brain tells me is that it's not just the individuals, so you and I, at the level of our stroke or um, our personality or other aspects of our uh, our being. It's also and not only the care that is delivered to us, but the environment in which we are treated uh, makes a difference too. So. I see the environment as very much part of this whole package of care. It has us, it has stroke survivors, it has therapists and the environment is another intervention. So what we know from the built environment is that uh, it can have negative impact on how we feel, how we think and how we recover. The evidence is still emerging in this area, but one of the things that I'm very interested in doing is is really considering the environment as part of intervention when we're thinking about recovery. So there's two things that we can do. One is that we can enrich the environment, and by doing that, we can try and put things into an existing environment that might make it more active for us, might stimulate us, make us less bored, make us more um, cognitively and physically and socially active. And there's a whole stream of research in animals that suggests that enrichment can be very beneficial. That hasn't been proven in humans yet, not in stroke, but um, Heidi Jansen, who's a postdoctoral fellow that I work with, is spending a lot of energy looking at environmental enrichment as a a model and testing that model in stroke. But the other aspect is that we can think of uh, redesigning rehab hospitals. So instead of the hospital uh, really not trying to stimulate social, physical and cognitive activity, which we know can be beneficial for um, stroke survivors, uh, we can think about how we would actually physically redesign that. So I'm actually working on a project with um, Mardell Shepley, who's from the US, as well as Mari Elf, who's in Sweden, and colleagues here in Australia, to look at how we might redesign rehabilitation environments. Um, that way I feel like we're tackling the therapy, we're tackling the environment, And then we've got this other aspect, which is understanding stroke survivors in more detail so that we can deliver the right treatment to the right person at the right time. And that's what we need to be able to do in the future.
0: That, to me, sounds very difficult because as, well, as you surely know, each one of us is different. Each one of us, I mean really we've all had a stroke but we've had our stroke in different places it affects different things um you know some of us are are bleeds or ischemic uh strokes uh i think there was a third one that someone talked about recently too that i didn't understand but you know there's all these different aspects and it's like how do you um I want to say plan for this. How do you work with this? I mean, in the old ways, you know, it was just this is what you do for this patient and this is what you do for this patient. So is there a way to explain how you can pick what to do for a person? Yeah, there is. Uh, This is where
1: we have – we're in an era of – neuroscience where we can study brains we can study genes uh, we can study uh vast arrays of information now you know you've heard that era of big data Um, it's not the golden egg it's not it it, or the or the golden goose (laughs) Uh, but it can help us what we haven't done in stroke recovery is we haven't tried to yet work out who recovers, who doesn't and why. Now, if we can understand more about that at the individual level by studying their brains, by studying biology, by studying personality potentially, uh, fitness, these things we know probably contribute into how someone responds versus someone who doesn't. and. Once we get much more clarity about this, we can then apply that information to the treatments that we deliver. So we are in a a new era where if we collaborate across countries and collect these large data sets that give us information about individuals, uh, we will eventually be able to determine who we should be delivering what treatment to. And that happens in cancer all the time. And that's because they've been working on this for a large uh, number of years. Um, It happens in cardiovascular disease. We're starting to see people individually uh, or individualizing treatments. And now we need
0: to do it in stroke. Okay. Wonderful. So Julie, Bernhard, I want to thank you so much. Thanks for Uh, having me. i would be happy to come back another time. Okay. Thank you so much. Bye. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Hand in Hand Show. We hope you enjoyed it. If you would like to keep the discussion going, please join Stroke Focus, the social media website dedicated to stroke survivors and caregivers. Stroke Focus is S-T-R-O-K-E-F-O-C-U-S. Stroke Focus is a part of Walhalla which in Mandarin means I have survived. If you wish to be a part of the show or would like to be interviewed as part of the show, please contact us at contact at strokefocus.net.